so you saw Gemini Man on Friday. I did see Gemini Man on Friday. I saw it well, yesterday. <laughs> okay, so I think we are uh, maybe a little preemptively uh, the only fan base for this movie. We are. <laughs> And because uh, I mean, and I think it comes more from the fact that I thought that it looked fine. I just miss the era of Will Smith movie star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it just reminds me of childhood in that way or something like that. And I right. don't really care about the frame rate stuff. So I didn't go see it in the, what was it? 160? 120. 120, 120 uh, frames per second. I didn't go see it in that just because when I see that kind of stuff, it kind of looks like you remember when those HD TVs first started coming out? Yep. And motion smoothing, that's what it's called. Yep. It, it all looks like motion smoothing. And yeah. I think that it makes everything look like a video game. And I don't like that. So, yes. and you could still kind of see it when you saw it in like standard definition. Right. How ever one thing you do notice even when you see it in standard definition is that you can see every pore on everybody's face (laughs) that's true why anyone would sign up for this is insane (laughs) to me (laughs) because i was just like oh my god i can see holes entire holes in will smith's face i was like oh my goodness But um, but yeah, I did see Gemini Man. I went and I got myself um, a uh, a gendered ale and some sour patch watermelons. Yeah, and I sat down. Oh, oh, well, okay. I also got this bacon mac and cheese thing that they had at the AMC little kitchen. Yeah, majingle, and it was eight dollars. And the young lady at the and she was doing her job selling me on whatever she was supposed to be selling me on. Right. And I asked her how big it was because I was kind of hungry, and. Uh, she was just like, oh, it's a decent size. She went and got me the bowl. And I was like, oh, that is a decent size for a movie theater portion. I feel like that's crazy. So I was like, yeah, sure. Give me that. It's bacon and mac and cheese. How can one go wrong? (laughs) And then what ended up happening is uh, I'm waiting for the for the dish to come out and they put it in their little heater thing and or to warm it up and cook it and then curiously the lady takes the bowl puts a a uh, lid over it and then stuffs it into one of those triple feature treat boxes that they had and then hands it to me <laughs> and this is this is the the first time in which I should have figured that I was being hoodwinked and bamboozled <laughs> and led astray because <laughs> I, I sit down in my seat and I was just like oh this feels kind of hot I'm gonna let it cool down yeah. so I'm I'm drinking my ginger ale and I am just having a good time watching all of these trailers because there is a super massive black hole of trailers at any AMC that you go to. It's like 20 minutes long. Oh my gosh, it's so long. My so, friend my friend that I was with, he like timed it on his like stopwatch. He was like... Yeah, we, <laughs> that's what we were doing when we first got A-list. We were just like, how many... Because I used to work at the Alamo Draft House. And yeah. this is the Alamo Draft House that I worked at. There were... Uh, there was like a package trailer for like all of the special events that were coming to that particular Alamo. Yeah. 
Then there were two trailers and then the movie started. Wow. That's and I got really used nice. to that. I was there for like two years. <laughs> yeah, and then you'd go anywhere else, and you're just like, "Oh my god, I forgot that I paid my ticket money for the movie and also the trailers." <laughs> um, so yeah, I get in there and I'm watching the trailers, drinking my ginger ale, and I was just like, "That's that's hot. I'm gonna let it cool down for a second. It's cooled down. I open it up. One." There is enough mac and cheese in there to fill maybe one third of this big ass bowl. Perfect. Secondly, I stick my fork in there, lift the fork full up to my gob, and I eat it. And it's cold on the inside. (laughs) Oh! And I said, and you know what, CJ, this is what you get (laughs) for not getting popcorn. Because whenever I venture outside of popcorn and a candy and a drink is when I come back uh, just dismayed. Yes. And 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 sad and, uh, you know, not happy with my experience. Yeah. So that was I was already it was a setup from the beginning, <laughs> the cold mac and cheese. And then the movie also turned out to be cold mac and cheese. Very much so. Yeah. And one, it's it's a beautiful movie to look at. It's directed by Ang Lee. Yeah. Visionary director. All of those things. But it's also so generic. I had read a lot that it felt like it was from the 90s, which makes sense because right. the film itself was uh, it was a 90s. script that was floating around that had been floating around for about 20 years. Yeah. So and it's definitely, you know. And it's produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, which I was just like, oh, there's a name you don't hear a lot about anymore. But um, yeah. And I just was you spend a long time waiting. Yes. For the young Will Smith to show up. Yeah. We were trying to like my friend and I were like trying to figure out we were like everything. Everything like showed up later than it was supposed to. Because spoiler alert. There's a third clone. I thought the third clone was going to show up in the beginning of the third act, you know, and because when when mm-hmm. they do when they finally do the team up, I thought it was going to be like, OK, so you're teaming up with this guy. I'm going to unleash mm-hmm. this emotionless version of the clone on you. Well, I thought that in, from the trailers, I assumed that the person that was handling the turret on top of the truck. Right. Was going to be the third Will Smith clone. Right. And that no, he was just a part of another group of people that Will Smith and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and CGI Will Smith had to take out. Yes. And then, and part of me also thought that I was just like, oh, well, and there's a bit of a mystery box that's happening in it too, which is interesting because that's the only thing about it that feels relatively new. Yeah. Because if it, if the last, you know, antagonist that they fight turned out to be uh, just another Will Smith, then like I think in like 1996, 
no one would be the wiser about that. No one would care about that. But now I think with blockbuster filmmaking in particular, everyone is so conditioned to be expecting a third act twist. Right. That when a movie doesn't have, when an action movie doesn't have one, it's just like, oh, then why were we here? Right. And um, I don't really understand the point of the length if there is no mystery. Right. Yeah, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't, it was hardly a mystery. Yeah. And... You know, you don't have a ton of players. I could see if the last act was going to be like an Avengers style, like Mary Elizabeth Will, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Will Smith and Will Smith yeah. versus like an army of Will Smiths. Right. Because <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that, that's that's where I kind of saw it going, which is, you know, maybe just post Avengers brain. But um, yeah, I was I wasn't like terribly disappointed because truth be told, I just wanted everybody to go see it because I wanted something that wasn't an established IP to like make some bank and maybe <laughs> give like and maybe give like a boost back to Will Smith's career yeah. like the, the kind of boost that I imagine is about to start happening for Jennifer Lopez pretty soon sure uh, I and I, I think uh, I didn't think uh, Will Smith did a bad job I don't either he like he he serviced the character pretty well it was just a very underwritten character. Yeah. Um, I, it felt, uh, you, you mentioned where it was like, it was, it, it felt really nice to look at. I thought it felt like out of this world for some reason. Like it was, sometimes I was surprised that, uh, there, the, the environments that we were in, uh, exist in this universe or in this world. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm like, yeah, cool. But like, I wish it was like a little bit more grounded in some sort of reality. Um, the setup. I think it's just that frame rate, man. That frame rate makes everything look like a screensaver. Yeah. I, I yeah, I guess, I guess you're probably right. Um, and yeah. And then I think, I think everything, like everything I wanted from an action movie was in there because mm-hmm. I liked I liked the like respectful platonic relationship of Will Smith and Mary Elizabeth Winstead's characters. That's great. Um, I liked the inclusion of Benedict Wong. That was he was a fun he was a fun like tertiary character. Yeah. Um, Added qu- some life to to the stuff that was going on. Yeah. Because beyond that, it was just all. Yeah. It, it'd be just a really dour. Yeah. And I think I, I think that's that's the that's the trouble is that like it didn't it didn't do like it didn't take swings outside of outside of what we saw from the marketing campaign. And I think the marketing campaign kind of almost gave away too much of the too much of the the whole uh story of will smith fighting will smith because if you really wanted to do an interesting angle to the marketing you would have kept old will smith out of it and you would have done look at this incredible technology we've de-aged will smith um and he's fighting 
it's it's going to be just ex- just exactly like Will Smith from the 90s he's going to be fighting one of his biggest threats and then you mm-hmm. get into the theater and then you find out the twist that it's like oh he's been tasked to hunt down his older self who's yeah. also being who's also playing who's also being played by Will Smith so I don't know how that would work just being that the script has been floating around Hollywood for so long right but also I mean, yeah, in a perfect world, that'd be that'd be most, nice. Most people who aren't paying attention, like we're we're anomalies in the sense that we pay attention to those kinds well, of yeah. things. So yeah. I think I'm thinking of the mindset of the audience member who doesn't know uh, that setup's about to happen, and they go mm-hmm. into the movie and they're like, "Oh wow, they're they're going there." But do you think that would get people in theaters though? Because that's always no. my question for these things. I don't. That's my. That's always my question for these things. Because like even like I think Will Smith is having the biggest box office year of his career. It is. Yeah, he at is. the moment. But it's because of Aladdin, right? And this one, like by all intents and purposes, tanked this weekend. Yeah. So uh, that's. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what could have been done to salvage it but it also is one of those things that like we're always talking about like when the apple plus uh, trailers for those uh, shows were coming out yeah and how we were like oh wow that looks interesting wouldn't it be great if instead of six episodes it was a two-hour movie that i can go see right but this is the first time and i don't know if i needed to be six episodes but this is the first time where i was just like oh well i feel like this could have been developed into a streaming show yeah i could i could see that um i think this movie would have done far better had it come out uh, in the time that it was pitched in, um, definitely. And uh, I could have, I could see it having an impact because, like, I'm, th- I, I was even talking, I was even talking yesterday. I was like, you know, I don't know how they're going to do the Matrix in this current era of intellectual properties and sort mm-hmm. of things because when the matrix first came out it was this it was such a unique and interesting science fiction concept mm-hmm. um and gemini man is kind of along the same kind of lines um it's kind of it's kind of gonna i mean it's not necessarily asking the exact same questions but it's got the same tenor of what uh playing with fire uh, being being playing god and all that kind of stuff um uh nature versus nurture and whatnot all those kinds of questions similar kinds of questions so mm-hmm. i think it would have succeeded well in that kind of decade if you will mm-hmm. uh and well the i think the matrix is an interesting case because one that's not coming back because they have anything to say well let me take that back because i don't know what's going on in uh the wachowski's heads yeah but i will say that that feels less like oh we found something else to say with the matrix sure with the matrix then it does like cash grab and the because the and I feel I feel this way about certain movies because when it comes to things being sequelized over and over again and like franchised into oblivion, I tend not to care too much until it's a movie that had a very specific thing to say within a very specific era. And yeah. like the Incredibles, right? Right. Yeah. There was a second Incredibles that came out last year and it is 
fine. Right. <laughs> but it does not, it has no reason to exist, I think, specifically because the original Incredibles was about something specific, had specific things to say. Right. It, it, and it said it. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, well, and yeah, with- I think I think what you're talking about speaks similarly to like, again, it's not that it's not that I didn't think that they wouldn't have or it's not like the reason they're making this fourth Matrix is because like they have something worth saying or it was, hey, we want to try and we want to try and revitalize this property. Can you find mm-hmm. something to say? Uh, I. I I definitely think that and it's making me wonder how it's going to function in this in this current landscape because yeah. something like a Gemini man uh would be do really well do really well in the time period that the matrix was made in. Yeah, um, this came out and, like and so, two weekends after a fucking eraser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it would be fine, but it yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what the I don't know where action is headed in particular. Yeah. In terms of uh in terms of cinema. Right. Because you know there it's trending towards the more visceral. It is. Yeah. As as the only type of action movies that come out and make any substantial box office dent or like superhero yeah. movies. Visceral so, and like physically demanding. Yeah. So the the opposite, like the counter programming to that, I should say, is your John Wick's one cut of not well, not one cut of the dead. What's the one that came out on Netflix? I believe one cut of the dead also came out on Netflix. But it was uh, a, a feature from uh the main guy who was in the raid i think and it's on netflix Mm. i -hmm. can't remember what it's called but i know that it was another one of those movies where people were kicking each other through walls (laughs) and axes were thrown everywhere and it was yeah well even that Uh, michael bay movie that's coming out that one that's coming out on netflix with ryan reynolds yeah six underground is interesting too Uh, and i and i think that jim and i man might be a cautionary tale as to why something like six underground had to be made on netflix yeah because even what was the what was that mark Wahlberg one from last year mile 22 or something like that yeah another very old school type of action thriller or whatnot that ended up not uh, doing terribly well at the box office. So I think it's a, now I don't think that we're in danger of like just seeing action movies disappear or anything like that. But I do think that they're shifting. Yeah. And we have to, and as Netflix becomes this place to go where, you know, they're just like, oh, did you love three to tango? Well, guess what? We've got a ton (laughs) of movies like three to tango. Yeah. Were you big fans of bad boys? Well, look, here is a movie from the director of bad boys. And, um, as that becomes their niche, which I think, I think if I was to make a prediction and typically I, I consider myself at this point out of the predictions game, <laughs> but if I was going to make a prediction, I would say that, um, Netflix as the streaming wars come further into focus mm-hmm. is going to lean real heavy on 
the niche types of stuff that the little cottage market that they have of niche genre stuff that you really can't get anywhere anymore. So yeah. You're going to see more stuff like set it up. More yeah. Stuff like six underground, yep. more stuff like the mid range movie that just doesn't happen in theaters yeah. anymore. And isn't yeah. really happening anywhere else. So I, and I think that's going to be the thing you go to Netflix for it. In addition to their television shows and all that stuff. Yeah. Whereas, you know, as competition from Disney plus and Apple plus and HBO max and, um, you know, uh, NBC one up. I don't know what it's called. What's it called? Peacock. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> no, but it, that makes sense. And I think I think by virtue of people being lazy and not wanting to change subscriptions, uh, that those those products will do well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think you're right. Um, but. We've been talking all this time about things that uh, belong in prior decades. Let's uh, let's shift the conversation about things being made in this decade. Oh, yes, let's <laughs> look at that tangent there, friends. <laughs> um, so Pitchfork and uh, a lot of different websites um, have been coming out uh, with last like week or so with lists lists of uh their top picks for music of the decade um and if if you know the two of us uh well you know that at this juncture in time we have pretty much locked in our lists of the best of the decade for us personally um so i'm and i just wanted to uh sort of have this conversation while a uh it's very fresh in at the front of mind in terms of uh mm-hmm. in terms of pitchforks uh they're doing like a series of articles so it's like they were not only doing the lists of things that happened in the or list say, of things of course that, they are it's pitchfork it's like they're talking about they're talking about like how the industry shifted and whatnot and i think i think that's an important thing to like I'm glad that they're doing that because I think that's also something to take into account when it comes to factoring in what the the music of this decade was. Um, mm-hmm. I made a video uh, at the beginning of the year uh, basically asking the question, is pop music as a not as a genre, but as an industry uh, at, is is the pop music industry? dying or evolving or transforming. And I I think, I think it is. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it has over the last decade. And I think the shifts that we've seen and the artists that we've seen come out and have pretty much entire careers um, in this last decade um, is a reflection of of that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, I wanted to talk about that. And I wanted to talk about maybe some of the albums and artists that Pitchfork didn't recognize. And then also, uh, and, and like things that we just, factored in as our favorites while it was still at front of mind and people can come back to it and be like oh these people were like they're talking talking pretty well about this last decade of music (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i i i glanced at pitchforks uh the thing that weirded me out about pitchforks is um I don't know. For my list in particular, I tried to make it so I was not doubling up on artists a lot. Mm -hmm. I ended up doing it once. Mm -hmm. Um, But like for the most part, there's like 
several Kendrick Lamar songs on Pitchfork's list. There are right. several Rihanna songs on, on yeah. that. So with the exception of one person, generally on my list, there is uh, one song per artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very easy for me to compile the list, the, the initial version of the list, which is like 400 songs. <laughs> um, and because all of it was on Spotify and Spotify has basically been around for the past 10 years. Yeah. So that, that was easy for me to do, but, um, there were a ton of people. I thought that pitchfork really didn't, uh, and, and some of the other people aren't, uh, being, you know, recognized on a larger scale, uh, Zania Rubinos, um, mm. and her song Mexican chef, which is, and this amazing, like funky bachata heavy song, mm-hmm. and uh, Porter Robinson, uh, who is a eclectic and super what's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> and, and and super interesting just to listen to. Um, Mm-hmm. electronic artist uh he had a song called sad machine came out i believe in 2014 right. and that is a monster of a song yeah um and, and and you know i had bigger artists on there too uh i ended up choosing uh love on top as the beyonce representative on my list mm. um, which is so fascinating i didn't i didn't think i didn't think you can narrow down based on based on your personal history with Beyonce. I didn't think that you yeah. would narrow down uh to at least one song for like your representation of Yeah, there's several songs on there that I think there's several songs of hers that have come out within the last ten years that I think are deserving to be on these lists. Yeah. And they're reflected on a lot of these other lists. Mm-hmm. Uh like Formation, yeah. uh Drunk in Love, mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, uh which is another great song. But I think for me uh as a person who has been a fan of Beyonce for almost going on 25 years I remember Beyonce particularly as like you know singing ass Beyonce yeah and Love on Top was really her last singing ass song like as we have watched her progress don't get me wrong I love sexed up angry Beyonce as much as the next person Mm -hmm. which is what we've gotten a lot of within the past like five years however I also um, you know respect her voice and the way she uses it as a tool Um, and I think that as much you know praise and hype that gets thrown at the feet of Lemonade and of self-titled I think 4 is pretty underrated and it gave us like you know a wedding song for the ages yeah and Love on Top is is very much uh, that song mm-hmm. um, the person that I ended up using twice on uh, my list was Kanye West of all people that's and fascinating <laughs> yeah well here's the thing like Kanye West is talented R.I.P um, <laughs> but obviously uh, he is in a state in which he is running around saying all kinds of shit talking out of the side of his neck about black people and uh, saying shit like slavery was a choice married to that 
that family. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, uh, outside of that, I can still respect one niggas in Paris, which also ended up being my Jay-Z representation mm. for, uh, you know, niggas in Paris is a, it's great, but it's great in all of its extra, uh, eccentricities. It is, uh, it's pretty long. I feel like it's very long rap song. However, I think the breakdown at the end of it, and I think Kanye's verse in particular, um, just carry it to heights that, you know, it wouldn't have gone to had both of those elements not been there. Sure. And then, um, I had to put ultralight beam on the list. Huh? I had no, I had no choice that that song is so powerful and it's such an eclectic group of artists and producers who were on it. Yeah. From, you know, Kanye himself to Kelly Price to uh, Chance the Rapper, Kirk Franklin. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but yeah, I, I mean, I have 150 of those songs. Woman by Kesha. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, I think that when you're trying to compile this like this, because I they're ranking. They are I'm not ranking. ranking. Neither am I. Because I don't, one, I don't, that would be impossible for me to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but also because one, it's 150 songs, but also all the songs are so different. Yeah. That I, how would I ever go about doing that? Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. One thing I noticed in terms of trends when it comes to this decade and how I relate to those trends is that I know that, um, the sort of, creeping on not onset what is the word i'm looking for i don't know what the fuck is up with me today uh i'm very tired i had a huge lunch and i need to nap directly after this um (laughs) but um the with trap sort of like encroaching upon the entire pop sphere within the latter like fourth of the decade yeah fuck if I was avoiding almost all of that. There is no Migos on yeah. my list. There, um, There's so many artists who have like gone that way and done right. that thing. We're talking like Poured Up by Rihanna, Ape Shit by the Carters. Yeah. Um, the, in terms, not in terms of like being a rap, like a trap artist, but in terms of affecting that sound, Ariana mm-hmm. Grande definitely does. Mm-hmm. And that's been like her last, like two and a half album cycles, I feel like. Yep. And I, I basically stayed away from all that. Cause that's, you know, I, I sort of lamented that as it was happening. Right. Um, but, uh, there's, uh, definitely less rock because just, rock completely fell off of any popular charts it really um, did as like as soon as 2011 happened yeah and that uh and you know i have you know rock songs on the playlist um particularly rats by ghost mm. which uh i remember uh letting you hear that song and and that song was very much reminded me of like what could be if you know there were more variety on the radio oh yeah 
I but, almost think um, I almost think it's bubbling under the surface. You know. We'll see. Um, at least we'll in that see. regard, we'll, we'll see what happens because I feel like in terms of I think rock and um, Americana, I think are having a bit of a resurgence within the last few years. With I agree. Um, with you know bands like Ghost sort of crossing over a little bit, not entirely mainstream, but I, right. I, I like. I heard about Ghost for the first time in like what was it 2014 mm. and they've been around for much longer but I heard about them for the first time in 2014 yeah uh, I didn't start hearing them as much as I hear about them now yeah. until last year yeah uh, same with uh, Brandy Carlisle on oh, the yeah. Americana side definitely and uh, Sturgill Simpson who I think is leaning more Americana than country nowadays definitely so uh, we we'll see what what the twenty twenties bring, but I think the the biggest things is uh, one there is less of a premium put on people who can sing. There is, I agree. Uh, that was, but what was interesting was that that was a lot of that. That was a lot of the top of the decade. I mean, there was yeah, def- because especially in pop, because most of the pop song was like dance music. Yeah, and uh, and you know we and we had like Adele and stuff like that, and that was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, Adele of, as um, it was coming out of the last decade. Adele, Bruno Mars, One Republic, mm-hmm. um, a lot of. I mean, there were a lot of like. I mean, at the start of the And the Writer Is podcast, they would talk about that era a lot, about being Mm -hmm. like really very much a songwriter era in where like there were people like cranking out tons and tons of different different kinds of songs. Um, Mm -hmm. And like um, you said, I mean, like it was it was like, yeah, 2011, 2012 was like the the cutoff point for like any sort of like bands in general Mm -hmm. like um your one republics and your funds kind of just kind of like petered out um and then it became it like very much very much very quickly is it became uh the era of the artist producer or the artist with the producer um Mm -hmm. and i think i think uh a lot of that um stems from the as much as i as much as i hate to say it but it stems it stems a lot from the cultural intrigue of the whole um dichotomy of taylor swift and kanye west being the two different people intersecting at they as they were um because uh Kanye was Kanye. So he was the writer, rapper, producer, kind of like you saw the whole process on his sleeve. And then uh, Taylor was Taylor is very good at um, she's very good at sort of talking about the people who write her music uh, with her Mm. Um, that I think I would give her credit for in terms of like getting people more interested in the writing aspect of it and be becoming not only fans of her, but fans of the people that write her stuff and and have yeah. get people, get people to grow more interested in that kind of stuff. Um, and then also you also have the angle of uh, your Ed Sheeran's coming in and being, being first and foremost, the writer at, at the front of the whole, of the whole, like, uh, you you find this songwriter in obscurity, have them write a couple hits, and then uplift them and bring and make them 
turn them into an artist. So you have like your Ed Sheeran's and your Julia Michaels and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, it's an interesting thing where it's just like, it suddenly became less of a focus on, on groups and bands and more towards individuals and who they work with as opposed, yeah, more like individuals and who they work with as artists. That's fair. You kind of saw that with um, uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Mm. Uh, you see it with uh, Ariana Grande and Victoria Monet, mm-hmm. who I didn't even realize was affiliated with Ariana Grande until that Monopoly song came out. Oh, yeah. Um, she she pretty much cut the majority of uh, Thank You Next with her. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I I think the, the she and Ariana and Normani have a song together on the OST for the new Charlie's Angels movie. I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I just remember seeing the, the track listing for it. I was just super excited because Cash Doll is on it. Yeah. So that's like a big, uh, that's a big gift for her. And yeah, definitely. Uh, just as uh, much. It was like, I, I was like super stoked when I saw Tierra wax name on the, on the gift. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> I, I I hope more stuff can happen like that because I feel like back in the day, like you is maybe not as much with pop artists. Well, sometimes with pop artists, but maybe not as much with like hip hop. Yeah. But especially like on rock, the rock side, be it like pop punk, um, alternative, anything like that. Uh, a lot of people's big breaks were on soundtracks. And, yeah. and uh and now you don't see as much of that anymore because they just just aren't soundtracks anymore but you yeah. but also like i think there's a bunch of high profile instances of that mm-hmm. to point back to over the decade yeah which i think is interesting which uh charlie pooth we would not everyone, have him we would not yeah, have him at it, all <laughs> i was about to say something really bad so i'm not going to um, <laughs> really really bad and distasteful well, but he's a, he's an interesting anomaly and i actually i think we probably would have had him we just would have had him in a different form but he kind of just yeah. like he was just kind of he just started to exist and he existed on one of the biggest songs of the year of that year yeah he he, he materialized out of thin air to croon as vin diesel and paul walker drove off into the sunset yeah <laughs> which should have been the end of those movies that's true um very but true whatever but whatever <laughs> um whatever um but also uh, just recently the I think the biggest like high pro- profile version of that is Lizzo coming yeah. out with a song two years ago yeah. and having it be on the soundtrack to a movie uh, earlier this year and having it be the biggest hit of her career and and as of now I think the biggest uh, female rap song charts wise uh, it of will all time. it will tie this week it if, will it, tie if, this it, week. if it if it if gotcha. it stays number one it will tie this week also I've noticed in the last this is something this is something that we kind of talked about I've noticed in the last at least like year year and a half or so there was there's a much more emphasis on who's charting where and when um it's because the stands 
The stands I, won't shut up about the charts. I, I know. Well, I mean, it, it is the stands, but it also lends to the notion of uh, who's in the conversation nowadays. I remember Scott Thomas saying that some, at some point on either the Infinity podcast or on his Twitter, um, where he was like, a lot of people are focused more on the Billboard charts now because everybody wants to know in the cultural context of this week, who is who is at the top or who is at the mm-hmm. bottom, who has hit rock, rock bottom, <laughs> does, if you will. Does everybody want that? Uh, everybody wants to know that? Because I don't really know who the charts affect. It, it doesn't. Outside of the artists, it doesn't affect anybody, <laughs> really. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh, but I mean, I don't, it's. I don't it's a talking point. It's a conversation. It's a point of conversation of oh, did yeah. you did you did you know that uh, uh, Lil Nas X has the longest running Billboard single, and it was birthed out of uh, TikTok memes. And yeah. you know, uh, you know, it's kind of like like you you see that, and you see, and I think it was really that song that started the whole conversation around the charts and Mm -hmm. this idea of maybe maybe it was around the idea of like because we had this like explosion of just random people from the internet finding success in the last like year year and a Mm -hmm. half or so that uh you're suddenly like oh uh is billboard trying to like gatekeep the charts or whatnot are and then and then you have like horses in the race that you're trying to root on and bet on for like I want to see I want to see this type of music uh succeed. I want to see Billie Eilish who's like out left of center to chart mm-hmm. somehow or I want to or I want to see Lizzo like yeah. maintain her status as like yeah, she deserves she, she is the culmination of a movement that has started at the at the top of the decade and we're seeing Which is it, interesting yeah. to be seeing people make folk heroes out of pop stars. Yeah, it's funny. It's really you know? funny. <laughs> also, can we talk about okay, with the with Lil Nas X and Old Town Road, which ended up on my list. It did. Yeah. Wow. Um uh, which ended up on my list. Uh, it ended up beating out One Sweet Day, obviously, which was the. Um, oh, oh, oh! I thought I thought you said it beat out One Sweet Day. Oh wait, never mind, because it's not yeah. relevant to the deck. I was like, it beat out mm-hmm. One Sweet Day on your list. <laughs> That's no, what it sounded no, no, like. No, no, no. <laughs> it beat out One Sweet Day in terms of like uh, chart placement and being number one for so long yeah. and so long and so long. Yeah, which was the previous record holder. Which then uh, I I always thought that was so funny the conversation around that just because like One Sweet Day is the avatar of pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> nobody really remembers it yeah nobody listens to it almost ever nobody knows the words at least by heart yeah you know and uh, it's a it's a song that you know it comes up in the mariah carey shuffle and everybody's from heaven one sweet day <laughs> that's how people treat one sweet day and yeah. it was so funny to like see everybody like come to its defense and stuff like that in in the same way that all of the people that hate like marvel movies or whatever as marvel was beginning to like look like it was going to top avatar for the top spot yeah everyone was just like 
you know, maybe Avatar is not that bad because it should stay number one. Yeah. But um, I, I just found that really interesting. And I think the viral sensations, um, you know, back in the day some of the songs would come up out of nowhere and you just called them one hit wonders but now yeah. they're like viral sensations and nobody can be a one hit wonder anymore because first off what's a hit song anymore right second even if they're not you know on the radio anymore these people are still like on those bubbling under on spotify lists and yeah. stuff like that yeah you're charlie um, xcx's and carly ray jepson's with their with- charlie xcx who has been the pop star of the future for 10 years now. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, no, but also like in terms of the one hit wonders of the decade, mm-hmm. I remember I, I, I hit you up about it. I was just like, one day we're going to have to explain to our children what in the world, the, why we were so obsessed with the song Cheerleader by Omi. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and not even that, like Moo by Doja Cat, which Doja Cat was just around basically since I was in college around 2012, 2013, 2014. Yeah. And then she came out with Moo, which is this joke song or whatever. And now she is is uh and and which you know led people back to her album that came out about six months before Moo had came out yeah and now uh she's getting written up in billboard and entertainment weekly and shit for Mm -hmm. the new album cycle she's about to embark on yeah so it's it's interesting it's cool that you can it's cool that now as musicians and it's something something that i have been something that I've been looking into as somebody who is preparing to release their own music, um, mm-hmm. how easily you can cultivate, uh, your niche as, mm-hmm. as a musician. Um, because you could be selling out shows, you could be selling out like arenas and like venues, uh, and, and doing all that and nobody would know who you are except for the people who are very passionately aware of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that. So it's, it's so, it's so evident through like, uh, your John Bellions where people will, people will remember the time that he got up during the Z 100 jingle ball and sang low, 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 low. Um, but nobody could probably <laughs> nobody outside of nobody outside of his fan base could probably name one of the songs off of his uh, last album, Glory Sound Prep, or five albums back when he was still on the come up and he like just decided to make mixtape after mixtape, uh, cultivating the they audience that can't way. Name the internet? No, but they know it. Yes, because it plays in my gym every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every single day. Wow. Yeah. So they, they they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to pick his voice out in a crowd of like like they wouldn't be able to pick his voice out. But the people who are passionate about him will like come to his defense and like be like, oh, he's done all this stuff. He's written all this mm-hmm. stuff. He's got five songs currently on the Billboard charts right now as a co writer oh, yeah. or a performer, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, so. It's it's really cool to see niche artists like him, um, whom I have, who, who whom I, if I were to if I were to call myself a stan, I would stand for him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have have their niche sort of 
audiences develop and build in in that sort of way yeah. and that excites me as a that excites me as a musician um it's also been kind of weird to just go back through this decade because um most of the decade in the context of what i've done as a musician was covering other people's songs um mm-hmm. the majority of my musical career has been covering other people's songs because i was uh first in a high school acapella group and then a college acapella group um and a lot of that, a lot of the cultural uh, value and weight of what acapella is right now is uh, really interesting, unique covers of um, uh, of popular music. Um, mm-hmm. So I really absorbed a lot of uh, a lot of my a lot of the osmosis I've had about pop music has been through acapella covers and going back mm-hmm. and discovering the originals and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just it's it's very weird to see that and it's very weird to like be be kind of like be witness to all of that through uh primarily just like interpreting yeah. and reinterpreting, you know? Was there a uptick or a surge in interest in a cappella uh following the Pitch Perfect movies? Certainly. Like there were like the, the amount of, the amount of collegiate and scholastic groups, um, that existed prior to pitch perfect, like tripled in the wake of pitch perfect because you had, you had the combination of first at the, towards the end of the last decade and the beginning of this decade, you had the sing off, which was Mm -hmm. the NBC reality show that birthed pentatonics. Mm -hmm. And then you had a pentatonics who was dropped from their the record contract that they won going onto mm-hmm. YouTube and doing acapella covers because acapella covers on YouTube covers on YouTube in general were the thing to do back then because mm-hmm. you had and so you had your people like uh, pentatonics now and, it's be a previously established celebrity from yes. some other industry <laughs> and then go to YouTube yes exactly <laughs> or from another social media platform like TikTok or yeah. Vine um, but you had a lot of the big thing the big thing back in like the early 2000s 2010s were covers. Um, so Pentatonix recently, freshly dropped from that label, just decided to start doing covers of random popular songs online. And mm-hmm. that combined with um, Pitch Perfect getting made and, and, and getting the right people involved with it, because I don't think it would have succeeded would had they not brought people in from the very small, tightly knit community that acapella has birthed, um, Mm -hmm. had they not brought in like some of the more well-known established people in that world to, to help them with the music and whatnot, I don't think it would have succeeded. It would have just been, it would have been written off as another like joke kind of college movie. And, um, I think I think uh, we have we have people uh, like a guy by the name of Deke Sharon to thank for being so gung ho and willing to, um, I don't know, bring that to the world um, because mm-hmm. suddenly you have you had like this explode you had the a true explosion and interest vested interest in acapella and it was so weird to see that. Uh, like how Air Force recruitment went up like crazy after Top Gun came out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty much that. I like. I imagine there. I imagine in the same. Yeah, kind of like if there's a thing that's made on a niche subject, um, mm-hmm. 
and made like a cultural phenomenon, I feel like there's always going to be an uptick in that thing. Um, yeah. And it's something that I've always been fascinated by. And I really wanted to like, at some point I want to make like a documentary about it because I'm so, I'm so, I was so in it and I wanted to just like sit and be like, how did this happen? Where did it come from? And like, how did we get there? Um, yeah, I was, it was a fascinating, it's a fascinating just trend to watch, um, in terms of, in terms of ex- observing one of the, one of the trends in, uh, popular music from this last decade. So going forward into 2020 and beyond. Yes. Give me three artists or producers or songwriters mm-hmm. um, that um, you're looking at and 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 rooting for and looking forward to what they're doing next. Ooh, um, I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say John Bellion because that's just gonna be. I feel Th- like that's, that's a given for that's you. That's a given for me. So I want to, yeah. I'm, I'm going to try and think of somebody outside because he'll always, for, for me, he'll always be somebody to watch just in the same way that Beyonce is somebody that you will watch constantly. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. So I, long as she isn't with her husband. That's my, that's my prediction <laughs> and wish for Beyonce. <laughs> oh no. I, yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago, Beyonce called herself giving us orders. She said, ladies, leave your man at home. <laughs> but she's a hypocrite because she won't follow her own advice. Oh. And I'm tired. Oh my goodness. We have, we like, and it used to be like a treat, right? Yeah. Because they, would, they wouldn't do it as often. Like it was maybe like, they, they had done what? Three collaborations between 2002 and 2013. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, four. Okay, so yeah, because it's O3, Bonnie and Clyde, Crazy in Love, Mm -hmm. um, Deja Vu, and they had one on his album too. Yeah, there was one on on, Blueprint Three. No, I'm saying on on uh, Magna Carta, Holy uh, Grail, there was one too. But yeah, that was but between uh, but that was 2013. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that was 2013. And after 2013, there was, um, uh, actually, uh, I take that back because, uh, she was on liftoff on Watch the Throne. That's right. <laughs> but, but then, uh, you know, in 2013, we got, um, On the Run mm-hmm. and Tom Ford on Magna Carta Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. We got Drunk in Love, mm-hmm. uh, on Self Titled. Yep. And that was chill. Yeah for a while and then we went through the entire lemonade saga mm-hmm. and now she apparently doesn't trust him enough not to be with him all of the time because she's everywhere she is and yeah. it's getting on my nerves <laughs> but the, just like we get it y'all married y'all worked it out we're happy for you um, oh good grief uh, but no um, yeah I think for me it would be uh, Chloe and Hallie. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because I don't think that they have found a sort of concrete version of their signature style. Because I think that they do have a signature style. Yeah. Um, in that very Destiny's Child like stacking of harmonies, right? That is just really wild to listen to. 
Yes. Um, yeah. And, and, and if they can parlay that into, um, music that is a bit more mainstream, I think, uh, they've got some, uh, they've got a bright future ahead of them. They're also acting. Um, the big thing is like, it's like they were played up as Beyonce discoveries, which they kind of were, um, uh, Chloe, was a child actress. She played the younger version of the character Beyonce played in The Fighting Temptations. Okay. And then, you know, being a child actor, and I'm assuming they were running around and doing school and also singing and stuff. Right. When Chloe was about to, when Chloe had graduated high school and Hallie was about to graduate high school, um, they started uploading covers to YouTube. Mm. And that's how, I guess, they reconnected with Beyonce and Parkwood and got on her label. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're both on Grownish. Uh, yep. fan favorites on Grownish. Yep. Hallie is about to be Ariel in Disney's New Little Mermaid. That's going to be big. So that's going to be huge for her. So I think when they get into um, more established producers, and I, I think they have a, a, a really bright future ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. definitely Chloe and Hallie. Um, I am also interested in seeing what is going to happen with the baby. I think yeah. he is fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I really like the rapport that he and Megan the stallion have going together. Mm-hmm. I really like his flow. I like the shit that he's talking about. I haven't gotten to engage with the entirety of Kirk, uh, as of yet, yeah. but what I have heard of it, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's been a, he's been a bright spot because here's the thing, like he's very fast and he's not mumbling. Like, yeah, he's got that heavy Southern accent, but he yeah. also enunciates. Yeah. And we know how CJ feels about enunciation <laughs> in his rap songs. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what's going to happen with the baby. And, yeah. um, and also burn a boy, burn a boy. Mm-hmm. What is he, what has he been doing? So Burn Boy um, was big in the sort of uh, West African circuit. Yeah. Um, and very popular over there. Oh, right. He was featured and, on The Gift. And he was featured on The Gift. He had a song called Ja'ara'a, I believe that's what the song yeah, was yeah. called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's one of the few. Well, he's the only person beyond, besides Beyonce on that album right. to have a track to himself. Right. Okay. And... Um, and he was a, and that came out like I think the week before the Lion King came out, mm-hmm. and then on top of it, uh, like two weeks later, he and he and out, out of all the reviews and stuff, his song was considered one of the standouts. Yeah, uh, got a lot of play. Everyone was excited because all these African art- artists, including him, were working with Beyonce. Yeah. So um, two weeks later, his I want to say sophomore album, it's called African Giant, dropped. And Sweet. that was a real decent and nice rollout for him. And he showed up on Mahalia's album. Uh, mm. He's been doing stuff with Georgia Smith cool. and Major Lazer. So um, I would be, 
I would put money down. I would put actual USD cash dollars down yeah. that he is going to be on Drake's next project. Ooh, yeah, that could be fun. Uh, so I think that um, Burna Boy is going to be a person to watch. And I think that whole sphere yeah. of... Um, of African artists is going to be um, is going to be a spot to watch. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, very much in the same kind of vein. Uh, I think the first thing that came to mind uh, were female MCs. Um, there are a plethora of female MCs. You mentioned Megan the Stallion, but like mm-hmm. even lesser known ones. Um, Tierra Whack, which who, who we've Rack. mentioned. Um, Rhapsody. She, she was featured on The Gifts, Rhapsody. Um, Chica. Um, mm-hmm. Chica is, she's, she's in a couple of weeks, she's got a feature on um, the new JoJo single. Um, it's going to be good. By the way, I loved that song, Joanna. Yeah. I thought she put her foot in that one. Oh, yeah. It was very good. Like she basically like took tweets and made them lyrics. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I I think I think what she's going to I, I'm interested to see what Jojo does next because she's like truly like now finally free of the whole uh, owning masters and whatnot kind of ordeal. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, uh, Chica and Tirawak are the two primary MCs that I watch because I would want to watch because um they are they are very much uh they're very much craftspeople uh first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um they are they are they are doing you very unique things and found traction in very unique ways and are parlaying it into uh, very cool stuff that they're doing. Um, and they have the crafts, they have the craftspersonship to back it up. Um, they are very well versed historically and like just are able to spit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm very excited about um, Nashville pop. Uh, Nashville pop is really interesting because um, first and foremost, when you think of Nashville, you think of country artists, you think Mm -hmm. of country songwriters like Shane McNally, who was the primary songwriter on the Casey Musgraves record um, from this past year, uh, and who was also featured on Songland, um, which was the NBC television show where they like built up songwriters. Um, I think that he brought to light a whole other side of um, Nashville that um, is really on the come up right now and 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 is a very exciting realm to uh, see grow and change, um, which is pop artists being uh, coming out of Nashville. Um, two, two women that come to mind um, who were writers first and foremost and now are being uh, sort of are on the artist track um, was a person from acapella. Surprisingly, her name is Ingrid Andrus. Um, she has a few singles mm-hmm. out right now. Um, she's leaning more towards country pop, but um, a lot of what she does is very storytelling focused. Um, and uh, so it's cool to not only see somebody with an incredible voice by way of like having done a lot of acapella who having gone to Berkeley um, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, get, What's her, name again? So, her name is Ingrid Andrus. Gotcha. Um, 
and uh, she's just got, she's just got a great storytelling sensibility about her, uh, and and that's the that's the it really interesting thing about the Nashville sphere is that they're very they're very uh, focused on storytelling, and then the other the other woman um, coming out of Nashville, her name is Emily Weisband. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got an EP coming out, uh, this coming week, actually. Um, it's like a seven, tra- seven track EP called identity crisis. And it's very, it's, it's pop music. Um, but it is very much like storytelling, honest, brutally honest in the vein of like a lot of, uh, writers, uh, nowadays, like you think it, uh, it's, it's very much in the same line as like Julia Michaels, but it's very much, you can hear the Nashville pen game on her, mm-hmm. um, on her, on her stuff. Um, you can hear the craftsman, craftspersonship there. Um, Brandon Ratcliffe is another artist that comes to mind. Um, he's doing, he's coming out of, uh, Nashville as well, doing the pop thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, two really avenues that I'm excited to see develop. Um, and then I'm just interested in seeing, um, a lot of artists step outside their comfort zone, um, and be more multi-hyphenates like, uh, like how we have Donald Glover and Lin-Manuel Miranda be multi-hyphenates. Um, a songwriter by the name of Ross Golan, who hosts a podcast called and the writer is, uh, whom I've mentioned on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wrote a musical, uh, and it's, on off Broadway. Um, it's called the wrong nice. man. Um, the concept album of the wrong man is out, uh, f- for anybody to listen to. And, and currently they are, they've just started their run of the wrong man uh, off Broadway, um, nice. with the same people who like the, with the director and the music director behind Hamilton and all that kind of stuff. Oh wow! So, um, it's a very legit production, um, and I'm excited for him because he has not only been he's not only been a great writer, great pop writer, and a great uh, uh, essentially playwright, but he's also been an advocate for the modernization of songwriter compensation and proper um, proper uh, financial systems set up to ensure that songwriters uh, get paid the, the right amounts for the things that they that they deserve to get paid for um, in terms of should happen in terms of their craftspersonship um, so uh, yeah I want to see I want to see more people do that um, they, he just had Ben Platt on on his on his podcast um, mm-hmm. he's gonna be an interesting uh person to watch because I wanted to talk about that because I think that it's a great time for Broadway crossover. Yeah, it really um, is. I think, I think Ben Platt is the obvious, is the most obvious example of that. I want to see, um, I want to see Leslie Odom Jr. is about to drop a, a record yes. next, next month. And um, so. Davi Diggs has his rap outfit that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want Lin-Manuel to drop a mixtape because he is very, he's a very good lyricist. Um, and and probably like I mean he's he's very much steeped in the old school influences of rap um, mm-hmm. in terms of how he writes, um, but his skills of playwright is kind of unmatched at the moment. But I really want to hear him tell a story on a mixtape, which would be really fun. Um, nice. Yeah, so Broadway crossovers, more of that stuff, and more exciting things because I think Broadway crossover artists like Ben Platt could probably bring back the ballad 
Um, because, yeah, because uh, uh, Sing to Me instead Pla- had a ton of great ballads. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, we have, we still have, um, we still have Adele's album to drop at, at an undisclosed time, but before the end of the year or the beginning of next. Um, so uh, Adele been twerking on Instagram. She better have a song for us to twerk too. <laughs> uh, that was the that was the best part of twenty five. Was send my love to your new lover. I said, look, yeah, Adele with your shits. <laughs> so I'm interested. And she dating that man Skepta apparently. Look. Is she? That's what the that's what the internet said. Oh. You know, they're always telling the truth. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it. <laughs> I'm gonna roll with it. Uh, yeah. So those are kind of the things that I'm really interested in seeing uh, happen in the next decade. Like, yeah, female MCs not being compared to each other too, having their own sort of niche. Um, I think as we get out of the Nikki versus Cardiness of it all, yeah. Um, because I think. Not that the stars are starting to die down. I think Nikki's has been sort of dimming for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think she needs to find a way to revitalize her career, even though she like and, you know, she said she was going to retire. Obviously, that wasn't true. But the <laughs> um, I'm hearing her on more and more features now. And I'm just like, just just be on features. For 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 a few years, like yeah. just be on features yeah. and build and build that back up because that's how she built herself up the first time. Yeah, was on these amazing features. True, and uh, she there's uh, one with it's her and PMB Rock and somebody else, but I can't remember who it was. But it's called Fendi, and that's one of the best Nicki verses that I've mm. heard in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Was um, it on? The, was it on the Chance the Rapper album? <laughs> No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Um, uh, no, this is a new song. Came out last week. I think. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. um, cool. But the I think PMB Rock might have thrown you off because PMB Rock and Chance are on that Ed Sheeran song. Yes, that's true. But um, yeah, but yeah, female and then, MCs, Nashville pop, uh, and Broadway slash uh, music crossovers, more of that kind of stuff. Those are the things that yeah. I'm interested in. And then whatever John Bellion does, because um, honestly, I don't know how much credit he gets for the amount of things that he's kind of the the, the kind of like movement among songwriters and musicians mm-hmm. he gets. Because um, apparently people were like lining up to work with him once he decided to make a comeback to like traditional songwriting with teams and whatnot. Good for him. So, and it's the reason why it's the reason why you have your Halsey's and Camila Cabello's going to him to get pop hits written. And you know I, what? The the best one is Some that of, Hayes Lee song. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, Graveyard, best Halsey song that uh, is probably my favorite of of the stuff that she's ever released. Uh, Camila Cabello, Liar, that and Shameless is. are very good. Um, even <laughs> even Pockable's Canyon uh, by Maroon Five is is catchy. Um, <laughs> memories as it is known, but Pockable's Canyon in D. <laughs> um. Also, pay attention to a guy by the name of Hansel Romero. He's kind of like Ooh. he he's I'm working with him on my project, but he's also um, he's been sort of 
leading the charge in terms of seeing trends, helping getting people placed on playlists, which is interesting, Mm -hmm. like like based on their niche. And then also he's very much been leading the charge in terms of like he really wants uh, uh, punk. Uh, uh, punk music, rock music, emo music, all that kind of stuff to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, and nice. I think I think he's one of the people that could do it and do it really well. Um, I would tell people to keep a lookout for a rapper named Jack Harlow. He sounds familiar. I don't get. I do not um, give a lot of and I, I don't know why this is I just I'm I'm very rarely impressed but the I I, I give a lot of uh, a, I pay a lot of dust to white rappers just because I'm <laughs> I just don't care but um, but he's good cool. uh, I would suggest people check out the song heavy hitter mm-hmm. uh, that's a that's a really good one um, and doja cat I I think Doja Cat's about to have a moment. Interesting. You can you can just feel it. Huh. So very cool. Um yeah. And I've been working on uh, stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, <laughs> stream my stuff when it comes out. I'm just kidding. Um, but I am I am excited about the work that I'm putting in and it would be really cool to be able to just put more music out in the world that is not cover me covering another artist. Um I actually just traded I traded songs with another guy um today. His name is Gerard O'Brien. He goes mm-hmm. his rapper alias is Lil G. Um he has a YouTube channel where he's sort of like a lo-fi Anthony Fantano. He just hit 10,000 subscribers. It's called The Tune Up. He reviews primarily like rap and uh alt pop albums. Um mm-hmm. and He's got he's got some astute criticism. Uh, he listens through to stuff and he talks about stuff and he's got his own perspective and I appreciate it, respect it. Um, but he also spits pretty well. And so I'm excited to have him on something and I am writing something for him. Um, I'm doing stuff for this EDM artist, Modern Machines, um, who's been pretty much killing the game in terms of the house EDM scene. Um, and my own project uh, with, an, with, uh, my friend from high school, he's been, we've been co-writing we've been writing stuff. We have, uh, we've been working with, we've working with each other. We've worked with his, his, um, his older cousin who's in a band, uh, who's open for kiss, um, and has really Ooh. great original music. Uh, it's like a pop rock band called the dives. Um, and they're going to be coming out with some stuff soon. I think, I believe they've been writing and producing and stuff. I'm excited. Uh, local local music scene stuff is fun, um, and I like check it out in your own neighborhood. Yeah, check it out in your own neighborhood, and maybe while you're at it, uh, when when my stuff comes out, give give me a spin and see what you think. And take a gander at my next single coming to a karaoke bar near you. <laughs> yes. Um, so flatlines, we'll wrap it up with flatlines. I'll I'll do mine really quick. It's one negative flatline, and it's the whole. Yeah, you said you had a negative flatline. Yeah. Look at you. My first Growing negative. My first negative flatline. Um, uh, they're making a mountain out of a molehill, or they're make yeah, they're making a mountain out of a molehill with this subject. Um, but Martin Scorsese doubled down on the whole uh, cinema, the uh, Marvel movies <laughs> and in- intellectual property stuff are theme parks. Um. And he's like, we got to stop this invasion of, of, uh, of, of theme park cinema. And I'm like, 
I'm sitting here going, I'm, I'm just annoyed at it at this point. It's one of those things where it's like you're a historian. You're <laughs> you're a historian of cinema, so you should know that cinema was initially brought out as a sideshow that you would go to at theme parks, like with vaudeville shows, Nickelodeon theaters, all that kind of stuff. The fo- the the kinetoscope and the fo- and, and the phonograph and all that kind of stuff. Just say it, Dan. You know you want to say it. I'm a film no, you, buff you, too. You, you, you just, just say it. Just, just say it. Repeat after me. Say Martin Scorsese. You goofy bitch. <laughs> you, just, you done like, goofed, no. Marty. You done goofed. Um, so yeah. I think, yeah, it's uh, even on Twitter. You were like, oh, I wonder what he thinks of all of these new, you know, up and coming, you know, filmmakers that are coming out of the YouTube space and all these indie spaces. And I can tell you what he thinks of them. He's, he, he doesn't, doesn't care think about them at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't really care you know? about them. But I mean, I, I, like. <laughs> They Based. just want. Uh, there's a there's a type of filmmaker who doesn't uh, who. Hmm. How can I put this in the nicest way possible? Whose aversion to the success of the Marvel movies and and other blockbuster cinema of the sort comes from a desire for the their work and the work that they enjoy to be as successful if not more because it was at one point because it was at one point yeah and i and not to say that i don't understand it but you know at the end of the day what are you you're i mean there's the energy that people are putting into takedowns of the marvel movies which fine take down the marvel movies people have been doing it for 10 years (laughs) um you know i don't i don't care like the 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 effort that they they put in on that could be used to uplift interesting cinema that like you know you know who is never hosting uh academy screenings of these smaller indie movies that come out martin scorsese (laughs) lucas yeah scorsese and stuff like that and i get that sometimes they have their own stuff but like what do what do y'all like to watch now? Because everyone talks about them as film historians. Yeah, and stuff and how I'd they can be so interested movies. to see like some sort of like Criterion Collection curated thing by one of them. Uh, that'd be yeah. cool. Of, of thing of of things within the last ten years that you enjoy that you think is cinema. How about that? Yeah, you know <laughs> that would be that would be something. To, yeah, because uh, because if. If this new thing that everybody likes is not cinema and the only thing that is cinema is the stuff that you like and you make. Yeah. Also, I mean, uh, Hollywood Reporter and all, all those media outlets, stop trying to spin this. Like, let the man have his opinion. He said it. You, do, you don't have to, You do, again, you don't have to make a mountain out of a molehill. This is, it's ridiculous that we need also, to it's somehow. it's only happening because we don't have another Marvel movie until February. Right, exactly. Because they want to put Marvel in a headline and, you know. They want to make sure that they have it as a, in a conversation because at some point, through some, through some crazy way or another, they are owned by Disney TM. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's my, that's my flat line. Uh, flatlines for me. I don't know if I have a negative. Actually, yeah, I do have a negative one, but I'll save it for last. 
Um, the positive ones that I have is that uh, a YouTuber and fitness expert and trainer uh, named Jordan Syatt released a hour long YouTube video uh, detailing a 30 day challenge that he did to eat a Big Mac from McDonald's every day. Yeah. Um, and stay on track with his fitness goals and all that stuff uh, and lose weight. And he ended up doing it. He ate a Big Mac every day for 30 days and ended up losing seven pounds yeah. during the process. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff like that. I tell people all the time that for me, fitness isn't something I can just like, you know, uh, gander over at the nearest Hemsworth and then go, Oh, well, let's go to the gym now. That's not how, (laughs) that's not how my brain works. I don't think that's how a lot of people's brains work. Right. And then on top of that, there's other stuff like the Bill Maher shit that I was talking about where he was fucking around and telling people that, Oh, we need to start making people feel bad for being fat. Yeah. Uh, not, uh, either not realizing that a lot of fat people already feel bad they're fat and uh or realizing it in just wanting to pile on yeah um and jordan saya is very process oriented in the way that he gives out fitness advice and and everything about it is remind is about keep going yes yeah, which I love because uh, at the end of the video, he 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 says um, uh, four words that I think everybody who's trying to get into fitness needs to hear, which is you can't fuck up. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, um, I think that that's so important. And I've been sending that video out to like so many people because that is that is very much. Advice like that is the only thing that keeps me going back, keeps me trying to be healthier, keeps me trying to yeah. uh, uh, make these changes. Yeah. And that video is really inspiring. And Jordan himself is funny. He's a great follow on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. So, um, and that, then that's kind of definitely that. That's kind of the thing where, I, what, what I was talking about in terms of like, um, YouTube, the t- type of filmmaker that's coming out of YouTube, like that's a documentary film, an hour long documentary film of his 30 day challenge. That's very cool. It's a new way to present cinema, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to uh, people who might not be able to afford the the 15 to 17 dollars and now 20 dollars with like extra stuff to go to the movies and watch like a Gemini man. Um, so I would. Yeah. I, I second that um, because uh, where where motivation fails, uh, the power of habit takes over. And I think if you set up good habits like the ones that he kind of encourages people to do, um, you are going to see you are going to see some result. And it's not going to be it's not necessarily going to be a result of, oh, you're suddenly going to have the Hemsworth washboard abs. But uh you're going, you're going to see, you're going to feel healthier. You're going to, you're going to be better and you're going to just continuously be able to find, uh, I, I think, uh, physical and emotional clarity through, through, through setting up habits like that. Um, I agree. And Jordan Syatt is, if you're looking for inspiration in, in that direction, I would highly suggest giving him a follow, giving his content a watch. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and my not so great flatline <laughs> is uh, there was a woman. Her name is Atatiana Jefferson, mm. and her, she was 28 years old, and uh, she lived in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, I I can't remember when it was. I think I believe it was either yesterday or the day before. Yeah. Um, she had left her door open and uh, a neighbor, a concerned neighbor called the police because the lights were on and he saw movement, but the front door was wide open. So he called the police and the police came and um, they uh, and the police officer uh, shot Tatiana uh, through the window and killed her, even though that was her house. And uh, this coming uh, right off the heels of uh, Amber Geiger getting 10 years for uh, bursting into an apartment that was not hers and gunning a man down whilst he was eating ice cream Mm. in uh, not too far away in Dallas, Texas. Mm. And I don't know... And this isn't really the flatline isn't really about what happened. It's about the reaction whenever this happens. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people, I believe rightly so, who have an inherent mistrust of law enforcement because of incidents like this. Right. Um, yet those people are consistently chastised over and over again for quote-unquote generalizations for quote-unquote um uh emotional reactions yeah um and my question to those people is always okay so y'all are always up here trying to tell me about good cops a good cop who watches this stuff go down and does nothing about it isn't a good cop Mm. The energy that you have jumping into somebody's comments and replies and under their tweets to tell them about how great police officers are. If that same energy isn't being used to publicly condemn these officers who do this shit. Yeah. To try and eradicate this kind of behavior within the precincts that you or your loved ones work for. Yep. Then what do you really have to say about this? Exactly. What 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 can you add to this conversation if you are not doing those things? Yeah. Finding some ways to do make some sort of measured change to ensure that things like that don't happen in your community. Because if you're not, then what right do you have to demand that people muster up the level of trust that police officers should have? because they take an oath to protect and serve. They walk around our streets with guns on their hips and uh, and real itchy trigger fingers, depending on the neighborhood they're in. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of fun turning on their sirens just to run red lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, you know, that's all we see especially in these neighborhoods that everybody thinks are so bad and stuff like that. Because if the only police presence that those people ever see is police who are coming to take away their loved ones is police who are coming to intimidate, you know, their cousins and friends the police who are kicking down their doors and killing people in their neighborhoods, then literally what 
what responsibility do they have? Because at this point, at this point, people are begging. It's like when we were talking that cancel culture conversation, it's like really dig deep into why you feel this way. Because for that, I was like, okay, for the Shane Gillis man, and everyone's talking about forgiveness and stuff. So he, he, he made this, he made this mistake that y'all are calling it. It was bad behavior. And thus we are supposed to reward the bad behavior. Right. With a spot on a nationally televised comedy show. Right. Uh, just in the name of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, we are supposed to reflexively tr- trust the police. Right. Even though stories like this are coming out every other day. Yeah. That is you. That is that is objectively too much to ask of people. Yeah, it is too much to ask. Yeah, and when police officers and people who have family who are police officers, when they can say that whenever this happens, I'm with y'all. I'm there in my precinct saying this guy has to go. This uh, this behavior has to stop. This person needs to be reprimanded. If I'm not trying to change, if they're not trying to change that culture from the inside, but they just going along to get along and then only piping up to tell people that they don't have a right to be scared or feel like their lives are in danger when people who look like them and live in neighborhoods like they look in and make either mistakes like they make mistakes or are minding their own business like people try to mind, they can still die at any given moment when dealing with these people. Mm-hmm. I you you don't have anything to say, and uh, and that's my negative flatline. It's a good negative flatline. Hopefully, people yeah. think about it. <laughs> so I yeah that a lot of people. Like, I, I don't even even I don't have the emotional capacity to get as angry about them as I, which makes me sad. Because right. because every time it happens, I should be angry. Right. But if I was gonna be angry about it, every time that. Uh, somebody was senselessly gunned down by a police officer or any sort of law, or- law enforcement, uh, agent law enforcement in America, I would be angry all the time and I'd have like an ulcer and a heart attack by the time I turned 28. Right. And I, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry to, sorry to end the show on a downer. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> it's an important conversation to have because I don't think, I don't think people think before they speak anymore. They don't. They sure don't. <laughs> um, and so hopefully um, maybe our show or some other show or some other comment or some other thing um, that they that they consume in this overconsumption era um, makes them think in that way. Be it be it from our conversations that we have or somebody else. Um, that said. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we are Dan and CJ. Um, you can follow Dan and CJ on Twitter. They couldn't see me salute. To, <laughs> you, <laughs> you could you can follow us uh, at Dan and CJ on Twitter and have have these conversations with us if you're interested in in discussing these kinds of things, all the different things that we've been talking about. Um, 
CJ, where can they find you on the social medias? You can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at CJ period. That's C-E-J-A-Y and the word period. I'm assuming you know how to spell it. I also have another podcast called Below Freezing with CJ and Micah in which me and my friend Micah unthaw a different movie that comes in at or below 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. We're By the time that you hear this, we might already be out of it, but it may, it may be a cool backlog to visit, but they're in their Halloween themed mm-hmm. month called Below Spooking. Um, and then... Uh, there's going to be some holiday specials uh, coming up. Uh, I'm going to be on one of them at some point. Uh, And yeah, you can find me at, um, on Twitter and Instagram at uh, the, the D Purcell. That's the D P U R C E L L. Um, You can find the both of us on Spotify and maybe we can link to our uh, best of decade playlists so we could just in in the show notes so we can uh, so people can uh, give them a follow and give them a listen if you didn't yeah and and then feel free then to shout at us to see if uh, <laughs> you agree with us on our uh, on um on our choices or disagree with our choices or is there something that we're missing um because we're always listening to music um and always thinking about music um so <laughs> send stuff to us it's fun uh and maybe on anchor uh give us drop drop us a a voice note and 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 we'll invite you into our group chat so to speak um so i couldn't see that either oh my god <laughs> uh so until next I need to time go to sleep, man. <laughs> so so until next time uh we're closing up the group chat and uh we'll uh we'll, we'll be talking about something else next week <laughs> see you then bye y'all bye <laughs>